0: Hey, Cracked fans, if you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this – Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and Canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So... How can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, LuckyRacket.com. That's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com. And use our promo code, Cracked15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts. 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's LuckyRacket.com. The promo code is Cracked15. Welcome to the mini break, your day podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, October 26th. I do apologize for the lack of podcasts these past few days. I have to say that far too frequently on this show, but truth be told, I'd forgotten just how difficult it is to find time to record these episodes when you're trying to host a USDA tournament, which of course our Crack Rackets team was so fortunate to be able to do this past weekend and providing competitive opportunities for very levels of players across the country is something we are so fond of doing, something we are proudest of here at Crack Rackets. And did I just try to spin my excuse for not recording episodes into a noble cause that you listeners now can't feel angry at me about? Yes, I did just try to do that, but sincerely, we had some rain this weekend in Indianapolis as such. It was a scramble. Two fine indoor courts. We were able to do that, and I will say it was very, very interesting, and I will say exciting to see the five... For the doubles competition from so many of these players. That is why, you know, I think on Saturday, Sunday night, we had matches going until 10 p.m. each of those nights. It's because we wanted to continue to play the doubles, not cancel that event, as so many players were so excited because of how rare doubles opportunities are at so many events. And that is a byproduct of, look, court time costs money, particularly when you move indoors. And in the summer, it's a little bit easier to play both a singles and doubles competition. You have that much more sunlight throughout the course of the day and the early evening. You also just have, you know, that much less likely a chance of rain throughout the day. You can find more available outdoor courts more easily. It's a little bit more difficult when you move indoors when we get into the fall, the winter opportunities, particularly here uh, in the states that have snow and thus have to play indoor events and as such to be able to sneak in a doubles competition. I don't know why I'm going so deep into this. All this is to say, it's really cool to see so many young players so interested in the doubles If we can translate that interest into playing doubles, into interest in watching the professional doubles, because the quality of professional doubles just gets better and better, in my opinion, much like the quality of professional singles each and every season. The hands, the just exchanges at the net, the excitement in each and every point. Of course, it's something I'm biased towards. I say the college tennis doubles point is the most exciting 40 minutes in all of tennis. I don't care Grand Slam final. I don't care Djokovic versus Nadal, Djokovic versus whomever. In my opinion, the 40 minutes of the doubles point is as exciting as it gets, and it was so interesting to see so many young players feel that excitement as well. Nevertheless, that's an early tangent, I suppose, for all of you listeners. That is why we did not have podcast episodes this weekend. We were hosting a USTA event. Those matches ran late each and every day. As such, didn't have time to watch the matches with, uh, as, cl- or I should say, as closely as I would like to, but I have used both Monday afternoon and here early on Tuesday, new play catch-up on all of the action. I watched a lot of tennis these past 24 hours, and I will tell you what, with about, I'll say, eight hours of tennis viewing in the books, you know it when you see it. And from the performances we saw this weekend, I think we can draw a couple of conclusions from some of the players we saw have success on another fun championship weekend of action on both the ATP and WTA tours. Of course, for me, it starts with Yannick Center. And I'll make the case for him throughout the course of this podcast, but I am all in on Yannick Sinner. And you all know there's nothing I enjoy doing more than quoting a tweet of myself earlier from the weekend. I don't think Yannick Sinner is underrated. I, you know, sometimes I like to just be provocative, but I will, you know, the second half, I sincerely believe if a new big four is going to emerge over the next decade, right now, the names I would point to, Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, and Sinner. And it might not be in that order. I may have Yannick Sinner now moving closer to that Zverev Medvedev upper echelon tier of young ATP talent. Guys, I am just so certain. I've said it before. He's one of my locks. I will be shocked. If we leave the 2020s of ATP tennis without at least one Yannick Sinner Grand Slam title and the 20-year-old Italian earns, I believe, what is his fourth, I want to say, ATP title of the season, it is indeed his fourth, as he earns a victory in Antwerp this past past week, does not drop a set. On his way to the title, closest sets he plays, 7-5 first set against Lorenzo Musetti, 6-4 against Arthur Rindernesh. The other six sets, all 6-2 score lines. He was dominant, and I want to talk about that dominance. I want to talk about, again, why I'm all in. I'm the 20-year-old Italian. You guys may know my former doubles partner, Max Rothman, a ginger as well. It's not about Yannick Sinner's gingerness. It's about the tennis he's produced on court, and I want to contextualize the success he's had relative to some of the other you know, teenage performances we've seen from stars on the ATP Tour here in the 21st century. But, of course, it wasn't just Yannick Sinner this weekend. I am so impressed by the game of young American Ann Lee. And Ann Lee earning the title this past week. I believe it was a 125K in Tenerife, Spain. I mean, she was super impressive on her way to the title. Dominant in the home stretch was just... Again, uh, Alize Cornet in the semifinals, but Maria Camille Osorio Serrano in the final, Ann Lee played dominant front foot aggressive tennis. I want to talk about what she's accomplished here this season, why she may be my favorite of the many talented young American women on tour, of course. With this podcast is essentially the Annette Contave beat at this point and you know last season it was the Sabalenka beat when she ripped through titles in Linz in Ostrova that's what Conteve is doing down the home stretch here of 2021 another title for her i believe her third here of the home stretch of 2021 as she wins the 500 event in Moscow, year-end finals now very much in play for Annette Kontevan. I want to talk about where she stands in that race, of course, how she was able to flip her match against Ekaterina Alexandrova in the final. I want to talk about how impressive Alexandrova was this weekend as well. And then, you know, last but certainly not least, we'll get into Oslan Karatsev. Yeah, he's got a case for most improved player of the year. Certainly, he earned second title for him of his career, second of the season in Moscow. It was a really impressive first set turnaround in the semifinals against Karen Hatchinov, dominant against Chilich in the final. All of that we'll get into. There are three challengers, of course, as well, a couple of American ITFs. I was keeping my eye on where the races to the year's men's and women's year-end finals all stand. But of course, before I get into any of that, and I know we're seven minutes into this podcast, hot intro here. That's what happens when we go a few days without recording. I have a lot of things I want to express to you listeners after an exciting championship weekend and the reason i'm able to do that day in day out here on the mini break podcast or at least usually day in day out is because of the support we get from all of you because of the support we get from our cracked rackets patreon family and of course because of the support we get from our friends over at tennis point you all know the deal best equipment best prices one location Tennis-point.com. You use our promo code CR15. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Uh, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into it. And I have to start with Yannick Sinner. And I know, ladies first, this is poor manners. We're going Conteve next, then Ann Lee, if you want to skip around. But I just cannot be more impressed with what I've seen from Yannick Sinner here over you know the last fifty-two weeks if you want to go that long, but even just directly here in this 2021 season. And this 2021 season is really his first complete start to finish season of ATP tour events. Of course he was playing entirely ATP tour events in 2020 Down the home stretch, there was a challenger match against Roussevore, I believe, at the beginning of the season to get some matches under his belt in Australia. But, you know, the key for him here is, you know, this is the first time he's had to play nine consecutive months of tour-level tennis on his body. And to see him not only reach the round of 16 at the U.S. Open, then go to Sofia, another indoor hard court event, he wins the title there, switches things up the next week. You know, it was a funky situation for him. Plays Milman, gets a withdraw from Isner, then loses to a very much informed Taylor Fritz, but then comes back to Antwerp. And again, two sets weren't he played eight total sets on the week. Six of them were six two there other 6475 wasn't pushed to a tie break didn't drop a set on the week you know there were multiple three out of his four matches he wins over 80% of his first points he gets broken one time fights off i believe that means eight of the nine break points he faces on the week was broken once during the entire event it was you know again against Arthur Rindernesh uh, uh in that first set he was just Extra, uh, in that first set of his second round match just extraordinarily impressive and that's been the theme for center this season he's holding 80.6 percent of the time that's a new career high for him that continues the trend we saw from him at the end of last season it's you know 28th amongst top 50 players here this year it's not exceptional But it's very, very good. You know, he's holding four out of five times. He played, you know, he's uh, forced to serve out in sets. And, you know, more impressively for him, his break percentage has sustained. He's at 26.3% here for the season. That is now his career average. That's a top 15 number. And just the firepower he's able to produce off both sides on the return. And in particular, if you watch that second set against or that, excuse me, final against Diego Schwartzman, just Yannick Sinner's ability to punish second serve after second serve. You look at the return numbers for Sinner in that match. He wins 53% of his return points for the match. He, you know, makes 65% of his returns in play in the match. And you look for him over the course of the event, despite facing Lloyd Harris and Arthur Rinder. he's making 55% of his returns on the tournament. You look for him, you know, averaging at least three breaks of serve per match that he played He just gives himself a ton of opportunities to be aggressive. And what's been so impressive about Yannick Sinner, again, on an indoor hardcourt, the guy is borderline dominant. I mean, the guy is just not going to lose matches, and you look for him in his career now. Uh, they're just the success he's had. Sofia 2020 wins the title there. Uh, obviously, Sofia 2021 goes back-to-back. Back. Antwerp now here in 2021. Uh, is he your favorite entering the Paris Masters title? He might just be because when the conditions, of which they are on an indoor hardcourt, are perfect, the bounces are true, and there's no wind disrupting you know the flow of the ball— you're gonna Yannick Sinner is going to get clean looks to strike the ball. And if he gets a clean look, the match is over. And what was so impressive for Sinner, even against the serve of Arthur Rindernesh or, you know, the relentless consistency, the side-to-side movement that Diego Schwartzman forces out of you, Yannick Sinner was in control in each and every rally, in each and every match that he played. And just, you know, again, the firepower on the forehand. It's second to none. It's elite. That's a top five forehand on tour, and you can hear it whenever he strikes that ball cleanly. If you give him time on that forehand, he is now in control of the point. Of course, what's been so impressive this season his ability on the backhand wing, particularly the, and, and when he's in the corners, to generate depth with that side, and you can almost see it as he's swinging aggressively when he tries to produce short angle or produce more, you know, uh, angle when he goes with plays with depth as well. His ability to get outside the ball technically just he's flawless, he's precise, and just then there's his ability as a volleyer. When some of the stretch volleys he hit against Diego Schwartzman they were ridiculously impressive he's no longer just a volleyer who knows where to go and what to do he has hands now his ability to hit the drop volley his ability to drive the first volley with depth with pace with precision there's nothing on a tennis court yannick Sinner can't do and i keep saying this 6-2 frame i think he's sneaky long for a guy his size i think again it's the depth and the pace he's able to generate out of corners that make him special but i think you know it's his anticipation skills and then just his length in those corners as well it's it's an all encompassing package Yannick sinner can do a little bit of everything, and then again we've seen the second serve, which for him was a liability early in his career. His percentages have jumped up this season. he you know is winning fifty four percent of his uh, excuse me fifty five percent of his second serve points this season that's up from a fifty two point nine percent career average and fifty percent from last season. And he's holding more frequently. His break of serve percentage has stayed constant above twenty five percent, and he does it you know on clay courts. He does it on hard courts. He does it on indoor hard courts. We still need to see a larger grass court sample size, but the score lines speak for themselves. There was nothing Diego Schwartzman could do to hurt Yannick Sinner, and Yannick Sinner displayed the physicality to match Schwartzman in the fifteen, twenty, twenty five shot rallies, and then eventually when Schwartzman would leave a ball short because you know Yannick Sinner hits the ball with such depth and such pace that it's inevitably going to happen Sinner capitalized and either moved forward or put the approach shot away and just you know again the sting he puts on those cross court forehands when he hits to the open court his ability to slap that ball down the line but keep it in as well just his ability to handle the Lloyd Harris serve and put you know for the match i believe uh you know 55% of his returns in play did the same thing. you know it was a little lower against Rinder Nash but Sinner was dominant. He was absolutely dominant. And you just look at what he's accomplished here this season now for Yannick Sinner overall, 42 and 18 here in 2021. You look for him overall on the season. He's now made eight different quarterfinals. Of course, that includes quarterfinals in Miami. That includes quarterfinals in Barcelona, in Dubai. He didn't make a quarterfinal at the Slams this season, but round of 16 for him at the U.S. Open, round of 16 for him in Roland Garros, and of course, you know, first round loss to Shapovalov, five sets at the Australian Open that came the day after he had won the title in the Australian Open warm-up event. You look for Yonick Center again, those eight quarterfinals, that's a top 10 number on the ATP Tour. He's made six different semifinals. He's 5-1 in those semifinal matches, 4-1 when he's advanced to the final this season. Again, his four titles, all hardcore titles, all five finals, Miami Masters, D.C., Antwerp Sophia, Great Ocean Road Open, all hardcore titles. Quarter finalist at the French Open earlier in his career. We've seen, you know, for him, semifinals in Barcelona before the loss to Stefano Pass. I believe he got the win earlier this season on the clay courts, if I am not mistaken. Uh, you look at some of the players, again, that he was able to beat. He beat Andre Rublev. Yeah, he beat Bautista Agut, got a win over Aslan Karatsev as well you look for Sinner, those numbers, 42 and 18 here in his age 19 season. He's now ranked 11th uh, in the ATP rankings. That's a career high. He's 11th in the points race. But again, those numbers, the key ones I want you to key in on, eight quarterfinals, six semifinals, five finals, four titles. You look for him overall in the season. He's won 70% of his matches. How does that compare to some of the recent greats we've seen? Well, the standard setter is Rafael Nadal. And to be frank, I don't think we ever see a teenager match Rafa's performance at age 19 ever again. You look at Rafa from essentially age 19 till he turned 20, and I know I'm giving Sinner an extra two months here, but Rafa was 74 and 9. So, you know, Sinner's won 70% of his matches. Rafa won 74 matches, 74-9 and overall. That includes a French Open title. That includes uh, titles for him as well. I mentioned it, you know, again, the four titles in five finals for Sinner. You look for Rafa on the year, 10 titles in 11 finals. That includes titles uh, for him at the Monte Carlo Masters, at the Rome Masters, Madrid Masters, Canada Masters. He wins Beijing. He wins Barcelona. He wins, you know, just about everything. His one loss coming in the final to Roger Federer in in Four sets at Wimbledon, yeah. Okay, was is Yannick Center on that level yet? No, he's not quite there. Rafa 13 semifinals on the season, 14 uh, quarterfinals for him on the year, and again, 74 and 9 overall. It's just ridiculous. You look for him, he's not on that level, probably not on the Djokovic level either. Djokovic 69 and 19 during. His age 19 season, that includes run for him to the semifinals of Roland Garros, where he got knocked out by Rafa. That includes, you know, uh, for him, I believe, run to the Indian Wells final, knocked out by Rafa. Miami Masters title, where he beat Rafa, where he beat Murray. Round of 16 for him at the Australian Open. I believe a round of 16 for him at Wimbledon as well. You look for him overall uh, during that span of time, that age 19 season. Djokovic able to win five titles in seven finals. You look for him in terms of to- total semifinals, nine for him in total, 14 different quarterfinals. Again, all of those numbers exceeding where Yannick Sinner is at. He's not quite at that level, but you look at some of the more recent contemporaries or even someone like Roger Federer. Federer, Federer was 59-27. and 27. That's a 69% win percentage. That's a little bit lower than Yannick Sinner. You look for Federer at the Grand Slams uh, during that stretch of time. His best result, he made a quarterfinal at Wimbledon where he was knocked out by Tim Henman in four sets. Quarterfinals for him at Roland Garros as well. Round of 16, U.S. Open. Third round for him, Australian Open. Yeah, it's a little bit better than Sinner, but not remarkably better. You look uh, for him in terms of titles on the season uh, Federer only able to win one title in Milan on the indoor carpet also makes a final in Basel makes a final in Rotterdam as well you look at it for him in the semi seven total semifinals on the season you look for him in terms of quarterfinals he made 13 I think that's pretty comparable to where Yannick Sinner is at right now. You look, again, similar for Alex Zverev, 51-23 and 23 during that stretch of time. And you look for Zverev, and I apologize. I know I'm going in-depth here, but I want to give you guys some context. Why am I so amped? Zverev won three titles in five finals. He won titles that year, Munich, Montpellier, or, uh, Montpellier and St. Petersburg lost finals in Halle and Nice. You look for him at the Grand Slams during that year, Uh you know, two, uh, excuse me, three second round performances plus two third round performances. So I suppose he snuck in five slams just based on where his birthday was. But, you know, overall during that stretch of time four zero I mentioned it, he makes five different finals. That's the same as Sinner. He makes eight different semi-finals. He makes, uh, 10 different quarterfinals, pretty similar to where Yannick Sinner's at, Sinners ahead of where Pass was. Pass won only 56% of his tour level matches with 35 and 27 overall. And you look for him uh, during that stretch of time. He was 0-2 in the two finals he played. Now, there were two Canada Masters loss to Nadal, Barcelona's loss to Nadal. There were reasons we were excited, but... Only five semifinals during that time, eight quarterfinals during that time. Sinner's a little bit further ahead. You look at Daniel Medvedev. He hadn't played a single ATP match yet in his career. And of course, you know, know, that's a little bit different than where Yannick Sinner is at right now. And Medvedev's development curve was always going to be different given his size, given his game is so predicated on physicality. But it's very, very comparable. Right? It's it's similar. Andy Murray, 71% of his matches. They're all similar to where Yannick Sinner is at right now. And I know this isn't a revelation to anyone, but if you're not excited about where Yannick Sinner is at, it's time to get excited. The Sin Man has been that good. The Sin Man will continue to be that good. He might be my favorite entering the Paris Masters, just given where everyone else is at. Of course, guys like, you know, Zverev, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Rublev, they'll all have a say in the equation, but Yannick is right up there with that group. That's where he belongs now. Tier 1 in terms of the next gen, guys. He has been that impressive, of course. You look at some of the other top performers at in Antwerp this past weekend. That's all I got on. Yannick Center. Hopefully, that 20 minutes enough. You know when you see it. I just, it's an eye test thing. He can volley too, and it's just the pop, the pace off of both wings. The serve continues to get better. The second serve, a little bit more depth now, a little bit more bite on that kick, and just the locations he hits. It's the complete package. And so for Yannick Sinner, again, another title for him. He's got the most of any of the players born 2000 or later. He's got five, uh, of course. So I've been through that list before. Uh, it's a pretty it, it standard list. Uh, the fact when you look at the finals, it's guys like FAA. You know, the list of guys in terms of total ATP finals. FAA still got the most. Then it's Sinner. Then it's Korda. Then it's Nakashima think That makes sense for a lot of us. I think you know, again, Brooksby's probably going to add his name to that list very, very soon as well. With multiple ETP finals, and you look for Jensen Brooksby, certainly was an impressive week for him. Wins over Gertz and Gombos in qualifying straight sets, then get straight set wins over Opelka, Vendison, Sculp, and Davidovich Fokina. Just sort of ran out of steam against Schwartzman, especially in that second set, six love, uh, and for Schwartzman, six four six love win over Brooksby. but. I mean, you look for Jensen now, the numbers are real, folks. He's holding serve 80.4% of the time. That's, you know, in his ATP Tour-level matches. And, you know, now that he's playing, I I believe he's played, what, you look overall on the season, he's 15-7 and now. 20 ATP Tour-level matches, he's holding serve 80% of the time. It's across surfaces. I think that number's legit, folks. That's a sample size that includes a match against Novak Djokovic, includes a match against Diego Schwartzman. If those two are in your arsenal alone, I think at that point the sample size counts, and he's holding serve 80.4% of the time again. That number's ahead of where Yannick Sinner's at. It would rank 28th, I suppose, against top 50 players. He's also breaking serve 26.8% of the time. That's a number ahead of Yannick Sinner, and it's not quite the sample size. I'm not saying Brooksby's there yet. We haven't seen him do it on clay the way Yannick Sinner has. We've certainly seen him do it now on hard courts, though. Jensen Brooksby's here to stay. And you look for Brooksby now in the live rankings, obviously up to a new career high. Following this run, he's up to number 56 right now in the live rankings. You look for him in the points race. Jensen Brooksby currently 41st. Of course, he's an ELO rating superstar now as well. Brooksby all the way up to 15th in overall ELO rating, 16th 2021 specifically. I mean, yeah, the kid's for real, folks. And by the way... Also happens to be Jensen Brooksby's birthday. Westoff, can we get a happy birthday sound effect for the kid, of course? Brooksby, always going to be a favorite of ours here at Cracked Rackets. And, you know, again, you just can't give Brooksby enough credit for uh, just – the belief he's played with match in, match out, and yes, I think Diego Schwartzman was a particularly poor matchup because Brooksby doesn't have the overwhelming weapons to hurt Schwartzman with, and if you're playing ground stroke game tennis, the last person on tour you might want to do that against is Diego Schwartzman, who, by the way, second in break percentage here on the season. You look for Diego Schwartzman breaking serve 34.2% of the time, arguably You know, a top 25 returner in ATP tour history certainly has had to be given uh, the comparative disadvantages of his size on serve, but, you know, Schwartzman just, Brooksby didn't have a way to stretch Schwartzman to hurt him easily, and if you give Schwartzman enough chances, he's going to stretch you wider, wider, and wider before playing the drop shot or going down the line, moving forward, just working his arsenal. Schwartzman was super impressive, broke down Brooksby, broke down Nakashima, broke down Andy Murray as well, but just didn't have the firepower to hurt Yannick sinner and that was the craziest part is just like it didn't matter what he tried to do didn't matter how long the point went it was just all right when's sinner gonna go big down the line oh now okay points over um but nevertheless for Diego Schwartz and sneakily again might be a career season for him. Thirty-four and twenty overall It's a six. Uh, let's see for Diego Schwartzman. Let me make sure that's correct. Sometimes those numbers are a little bit funky. But you look for Diego Schwartzman here. Yeah, thirty-four and nineteen. Excuse me, overall here in twenty twenty-one. It's a career-high win percentage for him at 64%. And you look at the numbers uh, for Schwartzman again, overall for him on the season. From a title perspective, I know he's only won the one, but seven quarterfinals for him, two semifinals as well. You look at where those quarterfinals have won, the quarterfinal at the French Open, obviously, where he took a set off of Rafa, quarterfinals Indian Wells, quarterfinals Barcelona. It's been pretty good across the board here this season, and... You know, again, you look for Schwartzmann currently 16th in the rankings. You look for him in terms of uh, where he's at uh, in terms of the points race. Not quite in the mix, and I believe he's—no, he still hasn't been eliminated. Currently 16th. If he wins Vienna, wins Paris, and has a bunch of other things go his way— could very well end up in London. It's a long shot, but he's still alive for the title. Diego Schwartzman in Vienna this week, uh, coming off of this final. But again, he's been sneaky good this season. And it makes sense for Diego Schwartzman, given where he's at, age 29, season smack dab, in if not towards the tail end of the peak of his prime, but just didn't quite have enough. To knock off uh, Jensen Brooks, uh, to knock off, excuse me, Yannick Sinner in the final. But again, that's uh, that was your uh, two bottom half, I should say, semifinals. Shout out to Lloyd Harris as well, another semifinal for him in 2021 on the hard courts. You look for Lloyd Harris up to number 31 in the ATP rankings, that ties his career high from earlier this season. 32 in 21 overall on the year, but 26 and 13 overall on hardcourts. he's holding serve 86.2 percent of the time in hardcourt matches it's a top 15 number he's also breaking serve 22 percent of the time which i know is not you know that's outside the top 30 amongst top 50 players but that's that eclipses his you know below 20 percent number for his career and that 22 percent just gets him in the ballgame, particularly with how frequently he holds serve. And just, you know, again, where's the discernible weakness? Yeah, it's a bit, sorry, Andrew Burton, one-dimensional. And you know what you're going to get from Lloyd Harris. He wants to be on top of the baseline, playing aggressively, hitting the big serve, looking for the first forehand, ideally trying to move forward. But the backhand is not a liability. Like his ability to drive the backhand, the physicality he plays with, he's your epitome of the modern physical tennis profile. So a lot to like about the game of Lloyd Harris, and it doesn't surprise me to see him have this success because when you actually watch him play, all of the skill sets translate to a successful, you know, top 30 hardcore ATP player. And he's absolutely a dark horse to do damage at the 2022 Australian Open. You look for Lloyd Harris. Makes sense, by the way, 24 years old, entering the prime of his career. You look for Lloyd Harris in the points race here this season, uh, 20th in terms of points accumulated overall on the year. You look for Harris ELO rating wise. He's jumped all the way up to 27th in overall ELO rating. You look for him 2021 specifically. He's 23rd. I mean, yeah, again, when you're watching the tennis, you know it when you see it. And I think with Lloyd Harris, we've all seen it here this season. But that's where things stand in Antwerp. Am I going to spend 20 minutes on every tournament? Boy, I hope not. Nevertheless, that's how exciting Antwerp was. Let's switch gears now, though. Talk about the women's results we saw unfold over the weekend. Let's start with Annette Conteve. Sorry, Ann Lee. I know I said I was going to start with her, but let's start with Annette Conteve because... I mean, again, the Conteve rise is real. She's the superstar of the home stretch of this 2021 season. Legitimately has played herself into the race for Guadalajara. And whether Annette Conteve is able to play a bunch of matches here this week in Romania, Linz is still on the board as well. Does she want to maybe rest up? Maybe, you know, again, play one match, potentially pull out of this tournament before uh, she uh, makes one final push at Linz? Perhaps, but, you know, she's now within 200 points of on She's with you know 139 behind. She wins this week in Romania, she would surpass On And she would qualify. She would have the 3,061 points she needs to qualify for the year end finals, which is the cutoff. And just again, you look for Annette Conteve here down the home stretch of 2021. What is there to like about the run she's been on? And obviously from a percentage standpoint, she's holding serve 71.7% of the time. That is now 19th amongst top 50 players. That's a career high. Uh, That's 1.7% above her career average. She's breaking serve 39.6% of the time. That's 2.5% above her career average and 20th amongst WTA players. She's a top 20 club member, one of just eight players you can say that about on the WTA tour, and it makes sense given the success she's had down the home stretch of the season. Of course, titles now in Cleveland, in Ostrava, and in Moscow. You look for her since that Cleveland event, which of course took place at the end of August, right before the start of the uh, 2021, excuse me, U.S. Open. Annette Kanteve now 21-2 over a you know a 2 month stretch of time 21 and 2 and it's not as though it's been a cupcake schedule for her you look at the breakdown by the ranking of opponent of course against opponents ranked outside the top 50 she's 9 and 0 in those matches that doesn't include the withdraw against Mai Hantama in Chicago but 9 and 0 against opponents outside the top 50 you look for her against opponents ranked outside the top 20 17 and 0 if you're not a top 20 player you have not beaten Annette Kontava here down the home stretch of this 2021 season. 17 and 0 against players ranked outside the top 20. That's ridiculous, and that includes wins over you know top 20 talents in Marquette Avandrusova. You know Paula Bedosa now is a top 20 player. She wasn't at the time they played. She's beaten Sarah saribas Torma, who's been exceptional on hard court matches this season. She beat Jill Teichman at the U.S. Open right after Teichman had made the final in Cincinnati. 17-0 against opponents ranked outside the top 20. 4-2 against top 20 opponents. Wins over an informed form She beat Kvitova on an indoor hardcourt. Wins over Sakari. Beats Muguruza over in Moscow. Gets a win over a very much in ECAT, Ekaterina Alexandrova, in the final of Moscow as well. And, you know, again, she was down 6-4-4-1. 6-4-3-0 as well in that final against Alexandrova. And yet what was so impressive in that final, and I think this to me has been the most impressive part of the stretch for Annette Conteve. It's not, you know, the progression she's made as a server, although of course it's worth noting for her overall on the season here, uh, she's won, I believe, 70, let's see, she's won 71.6% of her first serves during this stretch, you know, 21-2, and she's winning uh, 68.7%, excuse me, of her first serve points, that's up on the 67.2 she's won. Over her last 52 weeks, she's also winning 2.5% more of her service uh, second serve points, 2.2% more of her return points in general. Obviously, all of those numbers are up, but you know, beyond the confidence she's swinging with out of the corners, it's just her ability to get to those corners that's been particularly impressive. And it makes sense. Annette Conte is 25 years old, turns 26 in December. That's when your prime is supposed to be, both physically, and then that's when the mental side catches up with the physicality as well. And you can just see Fernette Conteve, she's in command of each and every component of her game. And you look for her in this match against Alexandrova, it wasn't anything Conteve was doing poorly in the first set. ECAT was just firing. On all cylinders, in particular, when Contevay would try to get her stretched into the outer thirds of the court play, you know, the plus one forehand cross court play, you know, with angle on her backhand side, you couldn't do that because Katerina Alexandrova's got the big backswings on both the forehand and the backhand wing. She wants that ball a little bit outside of the strike, you know, further away from her body and where she can go out and get it with the big strike zone. And when she was catching that ball and she was timing everything brilliantly out of the corners, she was just beating Conteve to the spot down the line, slapping winners from seemingly every portion of the court. And again, for Alexandrova in set number one makes 77% of her first serves wins 83% of them 19 of 23 now she was three of seven on second serve points but only had to play seven second serve points didn't face a break point in that first set meanwhile Annette Conteve fought off six of the seven break points that she faced but Alexandrova just kept coming kept coming kept coming takes the 3-0 lead to start the second set goes up for one and Conteve didn't you know, say, "Well, oh, you know what? I made another final here. That's all that really matters. And I, you know, oh, no, I'm 20 and three now since the end of August, not 21 and two. Contevay didn't do that. Kanteve hung in the match physically. And the tactical adjustment that she made that I thought was so brilliant was she started playing into the body of Ekaterina Alexandrova didn't give her the angles as much played with more depth down the center of the courts forced Alexandrova to try and create the angle for herself and the problem when you try to create the angles if you fail you now leave space and angle more available to your opponent and if you give that space and time to Annette Conteve right now she's striking the ball too cleanly she's moving too well she will make you pay and for Conteve again she just continued to swing on that serve and for Annette Conteve wasn't particularly explosive but you know, made 57% of her first serves won 69% of those points 51% of her second serve points Uh, The difference for the two performers was just Conteve's ability to attack the Alexandrova second serve. Conteve would play that second serve into the body. Alexandrova would try to mix up her locations, but Conteve was striking that return so cleanly she would beat Alexandrova down the line or hit the big ball cross-court and just was more effective doing that overall for the match. Alexandrova 15 of 43 on her second serve point. So again, she was 3 of 7 in the first set after that point, she goes 12 of 36 for the rest of the match, wins only, you know, a third of her second serve points in sets two and three. That's the contive- uh, confidence. Con- confident Contave. It's a confident Conteve. There it is. I like it. It's a confident Conteve, and that's what she's playing right now, and you look for Annette Conteve. Uh, it's a new career high for her in the live rankings now. Annette Conteve up to number 11 in the live rankings, and you know, I've been on this Conteve bandwagon for a while now. I'm not trying to pat myself in the back, but you could just see it. In terms of her floor as a player, there's no discernible weakness. It was always a confidence and a fitness thing. It just And she's fit as a fiddle right now, and just the confidence is through the roof. And so it allows her floor to shine through. It allows her you know, to continue to then play with more risk as she's taking more aggressive cuts as a returner. As she's hitting more swinging volleys, moving forward and just pressuring her opponents while not allowing them, you know, any easy sort of points because her game will not break down and just—I continue to be immensely impressed with the improvements made by uh, Annette Conteve, particularly with how well—and I can't emphasize that enough Ekaterina Alexandrova was playing so well in that final, and she breaks Conteve and has a chance to serve for the match, up 5-4 in the third, but Conteve kept coming, you know, maintained her aggression— earns a couple of breakpoint chances, isn't able to convert on the first few, but is able to get over the finish line in the end, you know, you look for Kanteve played so well against Muguruza, who was a bit injured, but 1-1, one one, there was nothing Muguruza could do, 3-4 and four against Vondrusova, who of course, her variety playing to the outer thirds makes her opponent so uncomfortable, but again the fitness of Conteve right now. She was just getting to all those drop shots, tracking down those short angles and, you know, er, you know, sending replies with more pace, more angle, more depth. And that Conteve is in control of every part of her game right now. And again, she wins another title this week or makes a run to a semifinal, a final. She's right there for a push to the year-end finals in Guadalajara. She's earned it a career season for Annette Conteve, third title for her on the year, top seven in terms of total wins now on the WTA Tour, top 10 by just about every metric. I mean, you really want to be amazed. You'll look at the advanced metric. You'll look at the ELO ratings right now. Annette Conteve, fourth in overall ELO, second in terms of 2021 specific results. That's a bit extreme, but that speaks to her uh, level of Leighton again undefeated against players ranked outside the top 20 since the end of August. I don't know if there's anything more to say. That's how good she has been here down the home stretch. But again, was a really nice week for Ekaterina Alexandrova, a much needed final for Alexandrova you look for her overall 29 and 22 in her last 52 weeks 26 and 21 here in 2021 obviously it was 22 and 20 entering this event had you know struggled here in the home court stretch first round losses in Cleveland and Cincinnati second round loss to Rakimova at the US Open third set 7-6 loss to in Luxembourg to Toss and qualifying loss to Ostrova uh, in Ostrova to in... It hadn't been the season she'd wanted, and for her to come out get wins over Jabour, even though Jabour obviously was forced to withdraw, but then Kalnina, Sabalenka, and Sakari, who was also forced to withdraw, she'll take it and just, you know, you could see the confidence she built throughout the week manifest itself in that final, and she genuinely can make a case leaving that final, I should have won that match, because again, serve 5 4 in the third, was up a set in 4-1, Kanteve raised her level, no doubt Alexandrova had her chances, but the shot making, she was... Producing in the first, through the first set and a half. Again, if you could do that each and every point, she'd be the number one player in the world. And I'm not saying she can't produce that more frequently moving forward, but. You know, again, I, even when her level came down, I don't think it came down that much. It was a super impressive performance for Alexandrova, who, you know, again, needed this result. Now, back up to number 33 in the rankings, not a guaranteed seed, but will be in the mix, and there's always a withdrawal or two in the first slam of the season, so not going to shock you if you see a uh, uh, Ekaterina Alexandrova seated come Australia, but... You know, again, that's a really nice result for her here uh down the home stretch of the season as she reaches uh the final of this event. Of course, another good result for Druzva who I talked about a bunch last week. She's been a different player since the start of the Olympics. Another good result for Maria Sakkari, who, yeah, continues to come up a bit short when she makes semifinals. You look for her here uh during the course of twenty twenty one. Maria Sakkari now thirty-six and eighteen Overall, I believe she's made a tour-leading seven semifinals. She's 1-6 in in those semifinals. And, of course, those include losses to Grand Slam champions Radakanu and Krejcikova at the U.S. and French Open respectfully. Uh, But, you know, losses to Andrescu, Conteve, and Sabalenka. A bunch of those three-set matches as well. It's tough opponents, but... You know, that's the difference between, I mean, she's seven in the world. She's qualified for the year in the finals. You know what? There's no negative to take here for soccer who's just unfortunately forced to withdraw. I just thought that was an interesting, it's just an interesting number. It's an interesting number. Uh, but of course, again, Marketa Vandrusova uh, through to the semifinals as well. That was your result for the women over in Moscow. I want to talk next about Ann Lee because holy crap is Ann Lee good at tennis and just her, her ability to just pop the ball. Off of both wings, her willingness to move forward to play the overhead. I know this is a really stupid thing. I may like Ann Lee's overhead more than I like any other part of her game. Just her willingness to hit that ball when the opportunity presents itself. And you know, I, I've sent out the tweet. Her, the her ability to go after forehands, her willingness to you know hit that ball big inside in, big inside out. It looks like a slingshot's taken off with their, her contact point, and it just looks like her swings are so fluid. It reminds me a lot of Ernesto Escobedo and just, you know, again, the pop, pop, pop off of both wings and just, again, the aggression she plays with. I think she's sneaky quick as well. Has that Fernandez quickness given their size around the court, that ability to, you know, beat you to the spot, take that ball early on the rise and just... You know, I think she's good out of the out of the corners as well and just her ability to elevate the ball when she wants to do that and play a little bit more defensively, but then, you know, to play with that disguise and you think she's going to do that and then all of a sudden she cannons a ball by you down the line. She's comfortable as a volleyer. She's, again, that overhead, super, super impressive. And while for Ann Lee, the hold percentage definitely leaves a little lacking and with Ann Lee now ranked number 48 in the world, you can see for Ann Lee currently ranked 30th in hold percentage Percentage on the season. You look for Lee, that hold percentage here uh, this year, I believe, currently at 68.5%, but she's breaking serve 40.3% of the time. And of course, you have to adjust for competition, but Ann Lee right now currently, I believe, ranks uh, 12th in break percentage amongst top uh, 50 players, over 40%. She's breaking serve two out of every five service games. You look for Ann Lee here in 2021 this uh obviously probably the biggest result i mean not probably it is the biggest result of her season but you look for her now here in 2021 23 and 13 overall that includes uh, you know runs to the chicago 125 semifinal where she lost to clara toss columbus quarterfinal 125 lost to coco vandaway semifinals in Monterey, where she lost to victoria golovik third round australia lost to sabalanka semi uh, excuse me finals uh in the warm-up of event in Australia, a match they didn't end up playing, but uh, ultimately for Anne Lee, you know, she ends up splitting the title. But now she gets the first you know sincere one twenty five title of her season you know, twenty three and thirteen overall on the year, twenty one and nine in hard court matches. You look for her, you know, in terms of her matches against players ranked outside the top fifty. She's nineteen and eight you know, now, three and five against top 50 opponents, but wins over Kuder Matova, Brady, and Choi Zhang earlier this season. Three set loss to Petra Kvitova on the grass of Bad Hamburg. I really love Ann Lee's game again. And be, while the power, you know, generally you think with her size to generate that sort of power, you'd think, okay, she's probably got these massive swings. She doesn't, they're super condensed. Everything she does on a tennis court is super easy. And, you know, again, against Maria Camila Osorio Serrano who thrives in the outer thirds of the court, whose creativity, the drop shots, the angles, the lobs she plays with makes every opponent, you know, struggle and break their confidence and get frustrated. And you should have seen what she did to Camila Georgie down the home stretch of that match. It was, you know, again, for I'll get to Mar- Maria Camila Serrano Sor- in a second, but that creativity, the drop shots, the disruption of rhythm that Sorio Serrano plays with, it didn't frustrate Ann Lee in the slightest. She, you know, she wasn't phased by it. She was able to continue to get into her plays. And again, when Marie Camillo Sorio Serrano played the drop shot, Ann Lee moved forward and finished points at the net, played the overhead when the moment called for. It was so aggressive with her return of serve as well. And you look uh, for Ann Lee again, it was just you know, just feasting on the second serve of uh, Maria Camilla Osorio Serrano. You look for her in course of the match. uh, She ends up winning, uh, I believe it's 54% of her return points for the match. She ends up winning 53% of her return points for the tournament, at least five breaks of serve and at least 10 break point chances in each and every match that she played, her only... Loss of a set was her first set she played of the tournament. First set loss to Nadia, uh, Par- or Nuria, excuse me, Parises Diaz. Other than that, it, you know, Anne Lee ran the gauntlet two and one over Alize Cornet. five and five over Arena Camilla Brigue, now one in four over Maria Camilla Asorio Serrano. Again, it's just the, the easy firepower for Anne Lee, and then her quickness out of the, uh, you know, around the court as well, her ability to generate that firepower when she's in the outer third of the court. Now, I would like to see her play opponents with bigger weapons, and I do think it's notable that, you know, she lost a straight set match to Clara and She lost 4-4 four and four to to the power tennis of Coco Vandeweghe. you know, lost for her against the hard-hitting Sabalenka and Golubic, and I do think if you have the power tennis because of Anne Lee's size, you may be able to overwhelm her with that power, with that heavy ball, but, how many players on tour can you say that about? Like Sabalenka, uh, locked in Osaka, other than that, you know, again, I'm I'm not saying there aren't other players who hit the ball big, but unless you have that elite tier one power point in point out Ann Lee's got the quickness the strength and her own firepower to flip the script on you and I was just super impressed you know again with the performance of Ann Lee who with this result again new career high for her now up to number 48 in the rankings 46 now in the live rankings you look for Ann Lee points accumulated this year and again she had a hip injury that kept her out for the majority of the clay court season she's 48th in terms of points accumulated right now overall on the year you look for Ann Lee now uh, all the way up I believe to fiftieth in overall Elo. You look for her twenty twenty one specifically. An Lee forty sixth, again thirtieth in hold percentage, twelfth in break percentage. Twenty years old, uh, excuse me, An Lee now I believe twenty one years old. But still, so much to like about the game of Ann Lee. so much to like about the 19-year-old Maria Camilla Osorio-Serrano, who I talked about in our teenage our spotlight on the teenage success happening on the WTA Tour, but you look for Maria Camilla Osorio-Serrano, just, you know, again, 4-5 and five for her in this event over Camilla Georgie, and, you know, the three-set win over Svitolina to kick things off, 4-2 over a very much in-form Maya Sharif as well, When things go to chaos, that's when Maria Camila Osorio-Serrano thrives. And quite frankly, she's got some f*** you to her. And I say that in the most complimentary way possible. She's got a fire, a tenacity to what she does. It is just going to frustrate opponents throughout the course of her career because it doesn't matter if it's love 15, first, you know, second point of the match or it's a set point that determines the course of the match. It's just she brings that intensity in every point that she plays and the creativity. If you give her time on the forehand, she's going to snap one by you down the line cross court. That's why she's going to be so successful on clay throughout the course of her career because even when that ball gets above her shoulder, Her ability to slap that ball down with her extreme grip when she has a little bit more time, it is an explosive wing, but, you know, her creativity as well, whether it's playing the slice when she's on the stretch, whether it's the short angles, whether it's the backhand lob, which is freaking gorgeous, a drop shot. She drop shot Camilla Georgie about every third point in the course of that semifinal match, and... You know, yeah, the serve definitely leaves a little bit to be desired. The second serve definitely sits up on her. You look for her overall in the season. She's winning 39% of her second serve points. That's just not going to get the job done moving forward. But she's also winning 61% of her first serve points. And I do think that first serve projects well moving forward. She does have pace. She does have pop on it. I think as that serve becomes more successful, that success will subsequently translate to her second serve because, of course, she has the hands. She can hit all the low. Locations. It's about hitting those locations more confidently with a bit more you know, risk when hitting that second serve. And of course, when you're a young player, you just want to get the point started. You don't want to beat yourself uh, throughout the course of a match because when it gets down to the ground strokes, Osorio Serrano's got the good. The backhand is so fluid down the line. Again, the slice, she can play with the angle. She can play with the lob. I do think she's got a really explosive first step. She's super fluid in the corners. But I also think... Give her two, three years of development in the gym to get a little bit stronger, to grow into her body because I do think she has an explosive first step, and I think as that improved physicality comes, she becomes that much more dangerous in the corners. Look out, and I do wonder on a quicker surface – and again, she made third round this year in Australia coming through qualifying, but on a quicker surface – How will her game hold up? How will, you know, that forehand wing in particular, because that backswing is so big, how will that hold up against the best of the best? But again, that's where the questions are right now for Maria Camilla Sorio Serrano. How will they hold up against the best of the best? Because you look at what she's accomplished here, thirty-eight and twenty over the last fifty-two weeks, thirty-five and seventeen here this season. That includes quarterfinal runs in Bogota, Charleston, Belgrade, and Tenerife, by the way, she made the semifinals in all of those events as well. Finals now in Tenerife and the Bogota, where, of course, she won the title earlier this season. Three sets over eventual French Open semifinalist Tamara Zidonczyk. I mean, yeah, for Maria Camillas, Osorio Serrano, new career high, number 53 in the rankings, 52 in the live rankings, 46th in the points race. You look for her now overall in terms of the ELO ratings, Osorio Serrano, 64th in overall ELO. That feels a little bit low and you look 2021 specifically. Yeah, she's 52nd. Uh, Again, you look for her in terms of the break percentage here this season. I think that's where she projects to be so impressive because, again, just how easy it seems to be for her to get a clean look on the return of serve. You look uh, for Maria Camilla Osorio Serrano here this season, I believe, and I don't want to get this incorrectly, but I believe for her from a break percentage standpoint, yeah. I mean, she's been absolute money. She's breaking serve 44.8% of the time. Now, she's not a top 50 player currently, but if she was, 44.8 would rank fourth behind Vika, Suri Toro, and Pagula, ahead of Ostapenko and Halep. I test-wise, that translates, and again, the title of this podcast, you know it when you see it. You definitely see it for Maria Camila Sorio Serrano from a physicality standpoint from just the creativity you need to be a successful top player on the WT Tour. She's got all the factors, the serve, the physicality I think will come a bit later as well, but the intangibles too, just the intensity she plays with. I'm all in. I'm Maria, Camilla, Sorio, Serrano. And again, she reaches the final as over the course of the event, she gets wins over Sharif, Svitolina, Zhang, and Camilla Georgie. But that was the action over in Tenerife. Now your last tour level event, I'm going to go a little bit quicker on this one because of course, uh, again, with all due respect to, the uh, it's not that it wasn't notable. I just think I learned a little bit less from this result than the other ones. Now, Karen Hatchinov, had this it was up six three, first set breaker against Aslan Karatsev. Karatsev hit two really impressive serves to get it to six five. Then Hatchinov had a plus one forehand. Karatsev gets to that ball, gets it back with depth, is able to find the Hatchinov backhand, eventually force an on the run Hatchinov error, uh forehand error, which of course because of his backswing, when he's on the run, that is the ball, he'll pull up from it and shank it a bit long. But Karatsev's just so fluid around the court he makes it all look so easy and of course you look for Aslan karatsev who you know had never reached an ATP quarterfinal prior to the start of this season now 37 and 18 overall on the year 34 and 18 in tour level events you look for him overall now on the season uh, you know five different quarterfinals for him. Two titles on the year in three different finals. He wins in Dubai. He wins now here in Moscow, earns a title over Chilich in the end. He's now up to the top 20 of the rankings, number 19. That's a new career high for Karatsev, 13th in the points race. And while there's a big gap between him in 13th and even Sinner in 11th, it's an over 500-point gap that Karatsev's still alive for the year-end finals, it speaks to the the growth we've seen from him this season. And again, given the fluidity, his ability to take that ball early on the rise, beach you to the spot, move down the line, hit the slice-out wide as well as the kick-out wide with his serve, just a little bit of everything, how this guy hasn't been a top 50 staple throughout the course of his career remains one of the most fascinating questions that perhaps will remain unanswered. But Karatev's done it all this season. And again, worthy of the conversation of, you know, most improved. It is the shortlist. It's him. It's Nori. It's Rude. It's going to be one of those three guys who end up winning the awards depending on your flavor uh, of, I suppose, uh, flavor of choice. Uh, But Karatev just, you know... He was so precise with his first ball. Every first ball made Marin Cilic either on the stretch or try and change directions and move back behind him and just did a great job of absorbing that first strike, continuing to hit, force Cilic to hit extra balls in that final, did a great job of, you know, again, staying alive in that first set breaker and then allowing Hatchinoff to self-implode down the stretch. And so super impressed by Aslan Cards have another title for him pretty good run for Hatchinov, by the way three set win over an inform the duck then a straight set win over John Millman to get to the semifinal really should have won that first set against Karatsev and if he wins that first set who knows what happens but you say that far too frequently in Karen Hatchinov matches you look at the semifinalists again uh, for on the other side of the draw Chilich knocks out Barankis that's a great run for the lucky loser who gets wins over Donskoy Coria and Adrian Manorino certainly the beneficiary of some upsets and obviously got a lucky loser position in the draw himself. Nevertheless, he'll take it, right, if you're a Ricardis into the semifinals of this event. Of course, that was your action on the men's side uh, in Moscow. Uh, Quickly, where things stand in the race to the year end finals, and let's start with the women's side. Uh, Actually, let's start with the men's side because I think we've kept you well appraised on what's happening for the women. But you look at the men's side It's essentially a four-man race for the final two positions right now. Six players have clinched their spots, as expected. Djokovic, Medvedev, Tsitsipasvirev, Rublev, Berrettini. No one's going to argue about that. In the race for those final two spots... Casper Ruud, who's in the lead, 3,060 points and, of course, five ATP titles for Rude this season, I believe. You know, it's him and Tsitsipas, double digits in terms of quarterfinals on the year and semi. I believe they've got the most semifinals as well. He's got, th- again, 3,060 points. That gives him a 105-point lead on Hubi Hercats, who I believe was knocked out in the first round of Vienna by Andy Murray. That was big for Hercats because obviously now he's going to need some other things to go his way. Otherwise, he might find himself in fourth entering Paris because, look, it's an 80-point gap between Cam Norrie and Hubie Hercats. For Cam Nori, one more victory is 35 points behind Hercats. That's a one-win gap going into pairs. He just needs to beat him by one round to get that final spot. Because, of course, again, we're competing for two spots here. And Kasparud's got a 105-point lead on Hercot. Kasparud's got a 185-point lead on Nori. He's got a 215-point lead on Sinner as long as Kasparu doesn't implode and he's already made the round of 16 in Vienna, as long as he doesn't lose first round, if he can make round of 16 quarterfinals in Paris, he probably gets one of those final two spots. But you look at that gap, again, it's a 110 point gap between Hercotts in eighth, Nori in ninth, and Sinner in tenth. And for Hercotts, he's got an 80 point lead on Nori. Again, 110 point lead on Sinner. That's it. Cam Norrie wins another match in Vienna. He makes the quarterfinals. He's 35 points behind Hubi Hercats. He makes the semifinals. He passes Hubi Hercats. Ford Yannick Sinner, he makes the round of 16. He's now, again, I believe 75 points behind Hubi Hercats. He makes the quarterfinals. I think he's like five points behind Hubi Hercats, which means whoever makes it furthest in Paris between Norrie, Herkot, Sinner gets that final spot at the year-end finals. That's what it's all about folks. That would just be again exceptional exceptional uh dynamic here down the home stretch of this event and you know, again, that's where things stand on the men's side. Of course, on the women's side, things become that much more interesting now with Annette Conteve actually doing the damn thing. And when I predicted she would get that final spot when we talked with David Kane prior to Indian Wells, I was being facetious because, of course, again, I have been on the Conteve bandwagon for a little bit here, as you listeners know. But look, she now finds herself, I believe, 139 points behind Onjabur. That's Cora's semifinals, I think, of the 250 this week that she's playing. She wins the event. She takes a 41 point lead. Of course, the only other player playing this week still alive in the race is Emma Radakanu. Radakanu, she wins this week, would be up to 2572. That's still a significant gap between her and Jabor. It really is down to two players now. Conteve Jabour for that final spot because, of course, we know Ashley Barty out of the race. Paula Bedosa has now officially clinched her spot given some of the results that have happened. And look, Jabor's nursing an ankle injury. She would like to not have to play before the year-end finals in Guadalajara. Annette Conteve has got the chance to, again, upset those plans. She wins a title this week. She's in command. She's in command for the final spot, and given her success down the home stretch of the season, given her consistency throughout the course of the year, you know, again, her and Jabour have been two, of the perhaps two most consistent players here from start to finish in 2021. Yeah, Kretchikova belongs in that conversation as well. Uh but Annette Conteva's played herself into position. And honestly, again, as fans of of the uh of excuse me, of this race and of fans looking for things to monitor down the home stretch of the season, that's all we can ask for. So again, I think the men's race is a little bit more interesting, particularly because you have Paris still on the board and that gap between Nori, Sinner, Hercot's route is shrinking by the day, but Kanteve, Jabour, race still to keep an eye on on the women's side. It really is down to just those two. Of course, that's what your tour action stands after last weekend. Now, if you want to hear the complete story of what happened on the ATP Challenger Tour, hop on over to our Great Shot podcast feed host, Damien Kusiak and Bob breaking down the action each and every Monday. Uh, But let's start over on the Challenger Tour. Again, three champions this week. Gerald Meltzer, first title in over four years. He earns a 7-6 in the third victory over Fasundo Mina. You also had a win uh, from uh, Carlos Taberner, who unfortunately got a withdraw from Marco Cicinato after he suffered an injury in the final there. The guy I want to key on is Sebastian Baez, who has been sneaky exceptional here in this 2021 season you look uh for bias now with his title this week he is now up i believe and i don't want to get this incorrect yeah up to number 112 in the in the ATP rankings is the 20 year old out of Argentina, of course, you look for him in terms of the points race here this season. Baez now, uh, I believe, all the way up to 69th in the points race. He's currently 9th in the next-gen race. Trail Sinner, FAA, Alcaraz, Corda, Brooksby, Musetti. But, of course, given there will be two Italians, perhaps that Italian wildcard will be waived. And instead, they'll give you know Nakashima and either Serendolo or Baez that final spot. Of course, Rune's still alive in the race there as well. Fascinating. Another year end championship race I suppose down the home stretch but you look for Sebastian Baez what he's been able to accomplish here this season by the way 35th in terms of 2021-specific ELO. Why is that the case? Because you look at his record overall on the season, Baez now 49-13 and here this year. That's a 79% win percentage. And of course, while he's 1-1 in ATP Tour matches, you look at the success he's had at the challenger level here this year overall, he's now won, I believe, five different challenger titles, all of them on clay courts, but five of them. He's made eight different finals here. at at the challenger level in clay courts as well. Again, just one of those all-time challenger seasons, right up there with Benjamin Balnese, right up there with Talon Greekspoor, who, by the way, is one of the three guys to beat Baez in an ATP challenger final here this season. 20 years old is Baez, and when you go 49 and 13 in your age 20 season, I don't care if it's predominantly at the challenger level and predominantly one surface you take notice of that fact. And Baez, what, 5'6", five, 5'7", five, 140 pounds, wind soaking wet? It's not your traditional sort of you know player, and the Diego Schwartzman comparison is too easy, but there's a little more firepower from Baez. And I don't think he's quite as, you know again, I don't think he's quite as fluid in the corners just with the depth and the angle he's able to produce on his ground stroke. I like the Schwartzman serve a little bit more, but... There's a firepower, two bias from the baseline, five challenger titles you take notice of, top seventy in the points race. One of those seasons you talk about. Uh, and so certainly for him again, we take notice here at Cracked Rackets. That's what happened at the challenger level. Of course, you look at the futures events we had at the eighty K over in Macon, Georgia. Madison Brakel, number one seed, takes home the title three set victory for her in the final over Serena Diaz. She also Serena excuse me, she also got a win over Shi uh, Wang in the semifinals. Diaz, straight set win over an informed Beatriz Haddad Maya in the semifinals as well, so top 100 talent on display at an 80k event of course over at the 15k event over in vero beach another impeccable week of tennis from top itf junior in the world jun Cheng Sheng, who you know knocks out rodriguez knocks out liam draxel in the semi-finals to earn what is it his third futures title i believe in the four events he's played here down the home stretch in the u.s and you know, again 16 years old to go on this streak of success you take notice right away and you know we didn't get to see any of his matchup I wish I could give you a more in-depth description of his game but three futures title now in the four events he's played you have to take notice of the world junior number one success for him over in Vero Beach but that's where things stand, again, after an exciting weekend of championship action across the professional tennis world. Now, it's another exciting week here this week. You heard me mention it. We've got Vienna on the board for the men. We've got, I believe, four ATP WTA tour-level events in total. Plenty of fun action to discuss. That's going to be the topic of our next podcast. And, of course, throughout the week, head on over to the Great Shop podcast feed. Keep an eye on these mini break feeds, our Cracked Interviews podcast feeds, as well as we continue our cover Coverage of, the, of each level of the tennis world that includes professional. College, junior, you name it, we're talking about it. Plenty of fun still to go here down the home stretch of 2021. Of course, if you've missed any of that content, you can find it all on the website crackrackets.com. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at crackrackets. You want to message me directly, I am at greatshotpod. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the greatshot podcast, cracked interviews podcast, and our CR YouTube channel. A shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Leader and Daniel Westhoff, for the event f- ending job they do day in day out. Shout out as well to our friends over at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone